Thank you, Maureen. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're continuing our series on the beginning of our story. Good to have the Macklemore family with us. The the children are glad that they get to hear good preaching. Acts chapter 8. When's he coming in? That's, That's what he said. When's the good preacher coming in? This is what family does to you. All right. So we're continuing in our study in the book of Acts. And how many of you know that the church is supposed to do something? Um, So I think some of you know that I'm helping churches with their church buildings. Um, The reason for that is this building almost killed me. I I went to, we went to Sam's Club to purchase some things. Remember that Nathan had left um, because of all that situation. And so here we are trying to build the building, got all these responsibilities. I went and checked my blood pressure. We were at Sam's. Felt like my head was going to explode. Laura's doing some shopping. So I saw the blood pressure thing. I checked my blood pressure. I think it was 209 over 190-something. It started flashing red. Seek medical attention immediately. I called Chad. What am I I supposed to do? He said, yeah, well, that's bad. (laughs) Yeah, seek medical attention immediately. And so we're, John Moore, y'all met John Moore when he helped us dedicate this building and open it up. Um... I want to give you some examples of what God is doing. So there's a church in Jacksonville, Florida, and it's connected with the Living Faith Fellowship and all of those guys. And um, so this pastor, through John Moore's pastor, asked John to help. And the problem is they've only got about 60 people. They had saved up about $60,000. How many of you know that you cannot buy property and build a building in Florida for $60,000? So John just started working at it. He reached out to a lumber company that owns thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres all over Florida. You probably don't know this, but but Florida is one of the largest producers of lumber in the in the country. And he negotiated this deal. How many anyone ever been to Amelia Island? You know where that is in Florida? That main highway, when you get off the highway and you head to Amelia Island, right there at that intersection, this company donated 130 acres. And here's what they have to do. They just need to develop public spaces, ball fields, and concessions. The church will run that. All of the finances go to the church to help the church build the building. So they have immediate outreach, and they're allowed to evangelize, according to the counter. The county, anyone that comes onto that space. Do you know what happened? They just did something. They took that first step. Our friend uh, uh, Andrew Stensis in Eaton, their auditorium was the exact same size as our our old auditorium. We have 1.8 acres here. They had about that same amount of space. They needed to expand. They couldn't uh, expand because of the the way their building was situated. And so John Moore, we reached out to John Moore. John helped them remodel their current building or their old building. And are you ready for this? So there was a church. It was a brethren church that had built a massive building. And Andrew wanted to buy it, but it was, I don't know, millions of dollars. They couldn't afford it. The church was too small. An organization bought it that helps adult 
um, handicapped people, mentally handicapped people. And so we had, John had this idea, let's just ask them to swap buildings because that building is too much for them. So Andrew went to them and they laughed at him. They said, we, we can't do that. A year later, they reached out to Andrew and said, this building is too much for us. Let's swap buildings. So they got Andrew's building, and Andrew's church paid $600,000 for a $5 million building. And here's what's fun. In the year in between, because it was government subsidized, they had to upgrade all of the bathrooms. Every bathroom is brand new with automatic, you know, sinks and tile up on the wall. It's like a Taj Mahal when you walk into that place for $600,000. Uh, uh, and I think, Ty, are, you, are the young people going down there for the activity? I don't remember. But there might, the, you know, the, the teens might be going down there so you can see it. It's, what did they do? They just did something. They just stepped out and did something. There's another church. I don't want to say who it is because you know who it is, and it's not guaranteed yet. This is a church. They run about 80 people. They have, a, they have a building that they've done a good job with, but it's in the middle of nowhere. And so they've looked into expanding that building. Again, they've got about $70,000. They can't do it. So they brought John in. I went with him. I introduced this guy to John. And so he says, just show me around town. And so we find a building. It's on the best piece of location, best piece of property overlooking a lake. It is, I think, 50,000 square feet of space. But that's too much. The church doesn't need that. And again, they've got like $80,000 in the bank. They don't need that much space. And it's $2.4 million. It used to be a car, an antique car museum. So the outside of it looks like a church. And you walk in and it's all finished and air conditioned and everything. And what they're going to be able to do is partition off of it. And it's right near a lake. So they're going to rent out RV and boat storage. And that church ought to be able to get that building for free. You know what they did? They did something. They stepped out on faith, reaching the community, and this is what God's doing. There's another in Stallings, North Carolina. This church, they're trying to get a building. They don't have enough money. The, the, the city is trying to expand the land that the church wanted. They say, we need that for our city building, for our community building, and we want $3 million for it. So John has a development company. So what he did was he offered this city, how about we do, a, do a, a city center development for you and bring in the investment? John actually designed the whole downtown of this city, but in that, the church will get a 12,000-square-foot building, and they'll share the parking with the city so they never even have to plow or take care of the parking lot. What did they do? They just did something. And so what's going on is God is working all over the country helping churches. And churches that are trying to reach people for the Lord. And yet, we feel like that the entire world is against us. You know why we feel like the entire world is against us? 
Because it is. All that is in the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, is not of God, but is of the world. And we're not supposed to love those things, right? And yet, we're supposed to go into the world and preach the gospel. So my message today is just do something. This is the the answer to ministry in a hostile world. So let's look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea. Oh, I got to tell you this. After this thing in Jacksonville happened, the, the CEO of that lumber company asked him to come up to Savannah, Georgia. And he said, we love this so much. Let's do it in Savannah, too. Do you know a church that can use 80 acres? Is this encouraging to you? This is what God's doing around the world. I love it. I want to just sit here and talk about that ministry now. But let's let's look at this. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So hold your place here. Go to Acts 1.8. You all know this passage. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem... So, and that started in Jerusalem, remember, they, they heal the, the paralytic man, and now they have the opportunity to preach all through Jerusalem and in all Judea. They get scattered through Judea, and then it says, and in all Samaria. So in Acts chapter 8, hold your place in Acts 1, go back to Acts 8, verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. You see that? Acts 8, and then look at what it says in verse 27, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So he goes and talks to this Ethiopian. Well, do you know, so let's just look at it. Keep your ribbon here in Acts 8. Hold on to Acts 1 and go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, look at verse 42. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees about the Gentiles. So Matthew chapter 12 and verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Where was she from? Ethiopia. So go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. They started being a witness there. And in all Judea, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. And in Samaria, Philip goes to Samaria. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth, Philip evangelizes the Ethiopian eunuch. He goes back to his nation and evangelizes Ethiopia. So when we study the Bible literally, do you know what that means? That the words are true. That we believe the world. That we believe the words. And that's how God is going to work. That's what he's doing in this passage. So go back to Acts chapter 8. Verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. 
As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. And Paul will rehearse that from his past all through the book of Acts. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Lord, help us as we study your word today. Lord, we need this. We need to see what you will do in a hostile society. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how many of you can see that Jerusalem was a hostile place for these Christians? Right? So let's go through and and let's try to get an understanding of what's going on. So if you look at verse 4, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now, therefore is a very important word in Scripture. So when you see the word therefore, what are you supposed to do? Yep, look back and see what it's there for. Right? So, therefore, what is it? It's an adverb for that reason, consequently. For example, he was injured and therefore unable to play. So, I am short and therefore unable to dunk a basketball. All right? So, this therefore is really important. Persecution came. Therefore, they went and preached. How many think that's a weird response? That is not a human response to persecution. Here's what happened in the United States when COVID hit. Churches shut down, went along with the government, didn't give people the gospel, made sure they didn't get close enough to talk to anybody. I wonder how many people went to hell during that time because Christians did not do what they were supposed to do. Amen? So in response to this persecution, they did something. Therefore, what a word in Scripture. I have talked with you before about the persecution that Christians have gone through. I want, I, I've made some slides here so you can see some of this. There was a man named Balthazar Hubmeyer. He was in Switzerland. He was a friend of, of Ulrich Zwingli. They both came out of the Catholic Church together. They both came to believe the gospel together. But Hubmeyer continued believing what the Bible says, laying aside the traditions of the world. Well, Zwingli became head of the nation, and so he of Switzerland. So I'm sorry, the city state of Zurich, and so he wanted to hold on to those traditions. So let's let's read what happened. In 1525, Zwingli was tired of the Baptists in Zurich. Balthazar Hubmeyer became convinced of Baptist principles and was tortured by his friend Zwingli on the rack, though they had been friends. Does that make you think of with friends like these? J. Newton Brown wrote a great book called Memorials of Baptist Writers or Baptist Martyrs, and he wrote this. Hubmeyer published a tract in which he complains of Zwingli and his followers that they had proceeded so far as at one time to throw into a dark and miserable tower twenty persons, both men and pregnant women, widows and young females, and to pronounce the sentence upon them that henceforth they should see neither sun nor moon for the remainder of their lives. Why? Believer's baptism. He goes on. Not only to be there for the rest of their lives, 
and be fed till their days were ended with bread and water, and that they should remain in the dark tower together, both the living and the dead, surrounded with filth and putrefaction. They would leave, they put them, locked them up in a tower and left them in there even after many of them died. They left the dead bodies in the tower with them. Both the living and the dead surrounded with filth and putrefaction until not a single survivor of the whole remained. He tells us further that some of these persons would refuse to take even a mouthful of bread for three days in succession that the rest might have the more to eat. Oh God, he writes, this is Hubmeyer, what a hard, severe, cruel sentence upon pious Christian people of whom no one could speak evil, only that they had received water baptism in obedience to the command of Christ. Folks, this is what people have suffered for. And what did they do? Some of them were able to flee. And what did they do? They went everywhere preaching the gospel. As we come into the future of the United States of America, God only knows what's going to happen. We can see what the courts are doing. There's so many things. That's why we have supreme prayer every Sunday night at 7 o'clock, praying for our courts, praying for our country, because, folks, we don't deserve anything but judgment. Amen? And yet, by the grace and mercy of God, we want time to evangelize, to give people the gospel, and to live our faith out in the world. J.M. Cramp wrote, When Luther blew the trumpet of religious freedom, the sound was heard far and wide, and the Baptists came out of their hiding places to share in the general gladness and to take part in the conflict. For years they had lived in concealment. When I was there in um, Switzerland, I went to a place where a man named Felix Manns and his church would worship. They'd climb up the side of a mountain into a cave, and at certain times of the year a waterfall would fall over the front of the cave, and they liked to worship in there because the, the waterfall would cover their singing because that was the only time they could sing for the Lord together. Otherwise, the Protestant Zwingli would have them killed. So when Luther blew the trumpet of religious freedom, the sound was heard far and wide, and the Baptists came out from their hiding places to share in the general gladness and take part in the conflict. For years they had lived in concealment, worshipped God by stealth, and practiced the social duties of Christianity in the best manner they could under the most unfavorable circumstances. Now they had hoped for peace and enlargement and fondly expected to enjoy the cooperation of the reformers and carrying into effect those changes which they knew were required in order to restore Christian churches to their primitive purity. They were doomed to bitter disappointments. Can you imagine these new Christians? Most of them in the early church, when Stephen was preaching, when Philip was preaching, when Peter was preaching, when John was preaching, most of these were, they had come out of the Jewish faith to be saved. And understand that Christianity is not a separate faith from the Jewish faith. It's the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. And so when they learned the way more perfectly, I'm sure they thought, all the Jews will want this. We've all been looking for the Messiah. He's here. We found him. And not only did the Jews kill him, but he rose from the dead. He's God. Surely everyone is going to want this. But like these Baptists in Switzerland, they were doomed to bitter disappointments. The Reformers had no sympathy with Baptist principles, but strove to suppress them. Papists and Protestants, Episcopalians and Presbyterians, treated them in the same manner. 
The Baptists traveled too fast and went too far. If they could not be stopped by other means, there must be lighted, or I'm sorry, uh, there must be lighted, fires lighted, or the headsman's axe employed. Thus, the men were silenced. The Emperor Charles V, now this is the one who helped Luther, the Emperor Charles V, whom historians have delighted to honor, ordered the women to be drowned or buried alive. Hundreds were sent out of the world by these methods. Thousands more lost their lives by the slower process of penury and the innumerable hardships. The demon of persecution reaped an immense harvest in these days. It's really important for us to understand that all through the history of Christianity, there has been persecution on God's people. But what did they do? They kept doing something. I may not be able to do everything, but I can do something. That's what they chose to do. And folks, we have lived in this amazing parenthesis in history where there's complete religious liberty, but that's coming to the end. But will it be our end of ministry? No, this is the beginning of our story. The beginning of our story was one of persecution, and I dare say the end of our story will be one of persecution. And yet we can have the joy of the Lord. These people happily went to death. In spite of extraordinary difficulties, Christianity made progress. The hindrances became helps in the providence of God. Persecution led to martyrdom, and martyrdom had attractions. So have you heard this quote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? That's kind of a paraphrase of what this early Christian wrote in the 200s. His name was Tertullian. He, expl- he said this to the heathen. He was talking to the Roman emperors. All of your ingenious cruelties can accomplish nothing. They are only a lure to this sect. Our number increases the more you destroy us. The blood of the Christians is their seed. Now, can I just tell you something? How many of you think, be honest, What if we go out into the city and we say, come and die? Come and die. Years ago, I was um, supposed to preach a, a nationwide crusade in the nation of Sudan. But a war started, and so I they, they wouldn't let Americans in. But Edgar Fagali, um, at that time, he had a passport that allowed him to get in to Sudan. And this one's okay, Justin. You don't have to worry about this. And he went and preached, and 800 people received Christ as Savior. Isn't that a blessing? But here's the hard part. When they bowed their knee and received Jesus, they knew they were signing their own death warrant because the Muslims were going to kill them. How many of you think that primitive Christianity was more hearty than our modern evangelical Christianity? So, one of the things we're doing in our leader meeting immediately following the service is the eclipse is coming. How many of you have heard of the eclipse that's coming? I guess we're supposed to have 100,000 people in Sydney to see this eclipse. So, we're going to do everything we can to evangelize people during that time. Isn't that a good idea? And... Imagine that what we say is, hey, 
I want you to trust in Christ. He's the Savior of the world. He rose from the dead. He wants to save you. Just believe on him. I know you're going to die, but just believe on him. You know that's what they were preaching. And yet they grew. As Tertullian said, the blood of the Christians is their seed. So now look back at our text, verse 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So therefore. But therefore they went. See, one of the things that we do is we wait for someone to come to us so that we can give them the gospel. And I really believe that there was a time in our country where an evangelist would go into a city and he'd set up a tent and people would come from miles around to hear the preacher and there was a a spiritual environment that was conducive to receiving the gospel and repentance. And we hear about those stories all over. So here's my challenge to you. Go downtown Sydney, set up a tent, and start preaching, and see how many people come to hear what you have to say. We don't live in that world anymore. There are places in the world where that will still work. Sydney, Ohio is not one of them. And so what we are to do is what these people did. Go where they are. Folks, we have to do something. How many of you believe that hell is real? That eternal punishment is real. And by eternal, that's forever. There's no getting out of it. We have to go to them. We must go. And so in the face of this persecution, even though they had to leave to have the opportunity to preach, they didn't stop preaching. The moral earnestness of the Christians contrasted powerfully with the prevailing corruption of the age. This is talking about the Christians in the Dark Ages. And while it repelled the frivolous and voluptuous, it could not fail to impress most strongly the deepest and noblest minds. This progress extended to every part of the empire. Because here's what happened. In the Roman Empire, these people, they saw the corruption of the leaders whether it was seeing the corruption of the Pharisees or seeing the corruption of the Sadducees or seeing the corruption of the Roman rulers. Remember, Nero is 64 AD. Just shortly after this, the evil that was in those places, they were able to see it. And then when they saw sold-out Christians, they saw a difference. These people lived differently. They loved differently. They shared differently. They preached differently. They believed differently, and they died differently. And that was an attraction, because understand, all these people were going to die young anyway. And so now they had hope for eternity that was different than what either the Roman religious system or the cults had provided. Tertullian, again around 200 AD, he said, We are a people of yesterday, and yet we have filled every place belonging to you. Talking to the Roman Empire. Cities. Islands, castles, towns, assemblies, your very camp, your tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We leave you your temples only. You can count your armies. Our number in a single province will be greater. People have wondered, how did the gospel get to England? Because Roman soldiers that were led to Christ 
spread the gospel wherever the Roman armies went. Isn't that wild? The Apostle Paul. It's so funny. You know, they imprisoned Paul. And they chained soldiers to Paul. They thought he was captive. They were. And that's how God got the gospel into every corner of that empire. Man, wouldn't you love to see that happen? Can I, you know, I'm telling you these stories. My friend Brad Wells, pastor's capital, or uh, Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. He is now the chaplain of the United States Congress. The Speaker of the House just asked him to host a two-hour prayer meeting in the Congress every Wednesday. Why is he able to do that? Because he did something. You know what he started doing? Every Tuesday and Wednesday, he just went and walked the halls of Congress, met people and talked with them and prayed with them. He will have pagan Democrats stop him and say, Pastor, I've got this. Will you pray for me? What is happening? The exact same, same thing that happened back here. The, the, the gospel through faithful people in the face of persecution is getting into the very halls of our government. How many of you know we need that? Praise God. Praise God. So, look at our text again. Therefore, verse 4, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They didn't just go and open soup kitchens. They didn't just go and help poor people. They went and preached the word of God. And this becomes so very important. John MacArthur said, Satan's persecution promoted the very thing it was destined to destroy. It's whack-a-mole. Just keep popping back up, popping back up, popping back up. The Bible says, then Philip went down, and what did he preach? He preached Christ unto them. Look at 2 Kings chapter 17. We'll come back to Acts, but look at 2 Kings. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's one under the chair in front of you. I hope that you'll take advantage of that. 2 Kings chapter 12. Or I'm sorry, 17, 2 Kings chapter 17. So, the people that Philip has gone to preach to are the Samaritans. 2 Kings chapter 17 describes these people. 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 33. Look at what it says. They feared the Lord. Now, look up here at me for a minute. How many of you know some religious people who have a completely different gospel than we do who actually fear the Lord? And here's what we say. Here, you know, I'm going to be ugly for a minute. And not my face. That's that way all the time. I'm going to be ugly for just a minute. We all do this. You know, they don't believe the way that we do, but they're good people. We can begin thinking that because they love God, they're saved, even though they have a different gospel. This perfectly describes the Samaritans. So, 2 Kings 17, look at verse 33. They feared the Lord and served their own gods 
after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. Now remember, after the Babylonian captivity, the Jews that were left there, they intermingled with the Babylonians and with these other nations, and the race they produced were these Samaritans. And so they still feared the one true God, but they added in the other religions. So that's kind of, how many of you know that there are different, different uh, uh, flavors of Catholicism? If you have Sydney, Ohio Catholicism, that's different than New Orleans, right? If you go to Jamaica, there's a Catholicism that, that in, similar to in uh, uh, New Orleans, that kind of blends voodoo with Catholicism. How many of you know I'm not making that up, right? That's what this was. It was a syncretistic faith. And those are the people that Philip went to preach. Now, things had changed a little bit. So Philip went down and preached Christ unto them. Let's go back to Acts 8. This is an interesting thing. Philip is the only man in the Bible identified as an evangelist. That's interesting, isn't it? And he was the first evangelist. He was also the first missionary. That's what an evangelist is. An evangelist is a church planter and a missionary, scripturally. All right? So, he was the first great missionary. The Spirit of Christ led Philip to Samaria, where he himself had gone. Who? Christ. To the very city of Samaria, which is Sychar. Now, Jesus had announced himself as Messiah there. Keep your ribbon here in Acts 8. Let's go back to John chapter 4. Remember the account of the woman at the well? John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples... He left Judea and departed again unto, into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. To get to Galilee from where he was, he had to go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So he goes on and gives her the gospel. He identifies himself as the Messiah. Why is this important? But I do want you to notice this before we move on to our next slide. Philip would have had to take the same road that Jesus had to go and preach the same message that Jesus preached and to experience the same weariness that Jesus Christ experienced. Isn't it good to know that Jesus goes before us in our mission? I love that. I love that. So, just remember what a comfort it is to remember that when the servant is tired, that Jesus knows of his weariness. So, there in John 4, look at verse 39. So, this is after he has ministered to this woman. She's believed on him and gone to tell people. 
But verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which did which testified. He told me all that I ever did or that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's the message that Jesus brought. That's the same message that Philip is going to preach. So sometimes uh, an evangelist will go into a place that is not prepared. Here, Jesus had already prepared that place for Philip. And I think that's why he told his disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria. These places are ready. I've prepared them for you. I've gone before you. Now you go. Now, I showed you from uh, 2 Kings chapter 17 how that they had mixed idolatry with the worship of the one true God. By New Testament times, they were not doing that anymore. By New Testament times, the Samaritans had shed their idolatry, but they didn't know what they were worshiping. See, do you you see that in verse 22, chapter 4, Acts 4 and verse 22? Jesus said, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. They worshiped the true God, but they didn't worship him properly. The Samaritans, like the Jews, were looking for the coming Messiah. Look at verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And what did Jesus do? You married? Go ask your husband. I'm not married. Thou sayest well. You're not married. Thou hast had five husbands. The man you're living with is not your husband. Whatever it is. How about that? Can you imagine? Sir, I perceivest that thou art a prophet. Why? That's what Messiah would do. Do you know what the Bible says about our Messiah? Look at, you might want to keep John. I don't know if you have enough fingers for all this. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Remember, when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. He'll show us all things. Hebrews 4, verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Amen. He knows your heart. He knows all about you. But the Samaritans, like the Jews, looked for the coming of the Messiah. So when Philip went and he started preaching there, what happened? Go back to Acts chapter 8. Verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. It's interesting. Philip is one of the seven. This is not Philip, one of the apostles. 
And yet God had given him the power that the apostles had to, to cast out devils. And isn't it interesting that when he would cast out those devils, they would shriek and scream. Have you seen what happens to street preachers today? They go on a college campus and they'll start preaching. And some crazed person will scream. Have y'all seen that? And yet, the power to cast out devils was a specific power that God gave the apostles and the 70. Remember he sent the 70 out? They came back and they were praising the Lord because God had given them power over devils to cast them out. You don't have that power. I don't have that power. That was a specific power that was given to these apostles. It's interesting when you look at the miracles that were done. Jesus had power over nature. He could calm the seas. He could make uh, uh, wine out of water. He could create food. He could restore limbs. Jesus had power. He could make himself invisible and walk through a crowd. That's Jesus Christ had power over nature. God never gave the apostles power over nature. He gave the apostles the power to cast out devils and to heal the sick. They could walk on serpents. So if a snake would bite them, they would be okay. Remember that happened with, with Paul. He's gathering firewood, a viper attached to his hand, and he just shook it off. And that, they said, this, this is a God. This is a God. No, he's God's man. You don't have that power. Let's demonstrate it. Guys, bring in the snakes. No, we don't. I, they, so, uh, you know, I was on eBay searching for stuff for my Bible exhibit. And there's a Bible that has a snake skin cover that came from one of those churches. How many of you think I ought to put that on my display? I think I need to get that Bible. It, that's not for us. That's not for us. And what changed those people? It wasn't the healing. Now, that changed their temporary state. But what was it that changed their eternity? The preaching of Christ. Man, I wish I could heal people. Dr. Ree had a surgery last week. I'm so thankful it went well. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't really walk. He was on crutches when he went in. He walked out of the hospital that day. Isn't that wonderful? But I wish that I could have taken care of it to where he didn't even need surgery. I don't have that authority. I don't have that power, but I can preach the gospel. You can't heal people, but you can do something. You might not be able to stop persecution, but you can do something. You not, might not be able to win the whole city of Sydney or Piqua or Troy or the surrounding areas. You might not be able to win that entire, but you can do something. And so what did these Christians do? They did what they could. The thing that I love is when they went everywhere preaching the gospel, they just continued doing what they already had been doing. We might think, when the persecution comes, I'll preach. I won't give in. I'll preach. Why aren't you preaching now? Why aren't you giving the gospel? It didn't say that the apostles went everywhere preaching the gospel. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. The people went everywhere preaching the gospel. The pastors didn't go everywhere preaching the gospel. These were just the people. This is you. If persecution came and I said, I'm going to stay here in Sydney and hold down the fort, you guys go everywhere and preach the gospel. 
Is that any different than this? Be honestly, other than that I'm not an apostle. But is it any different than that? So what are we going to do? This is the beginning of our story. This is what we are supposed to do. I'm really, let's all stand together. I'm done. Let me just ask you this. How many of you are thankful that you're saved? And if you're here today and you're not born again, we can show you from the Bible how you can know. You must be born again. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus alone, make today that day. The rest of us who know it, we've got to tell somebody about it. Don't just hide it. Don't just keep it to yourself. And I love it that this class next week, we're going to begin preparing people. Imagine 90 evangelists. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Yes, you have the command to evangelize. Wonderful. I don't have the gift of administration, and yet I have to do it. It's so wonderful what God has done. And here's the answer. Here's what it comes to. Verse 8, it says, and there was great joy in that city. Let's bring joy to Sydney. Let's bring joy to the surrounding communities. Let's bring joy to Portage. Let's make sure that we are doing something. How many of you enjoyed hearing those stories about what God's doing in those churches? Do you think it's just for them? We can have those same miracles. I can't perform miracles. God can. What's the prerequisite for God to move? If my people. There's an if. And then we step out on faith and then God works. We step out on faith and then God works. Praise the Lord. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that this word will take effect in our lives.